I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go of strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. It's a good day. It's a good day. It's been a great day. It's got kind of that autumn feel here in Colorado. Yeah, so long as you don't go outside. It's great. It's beautiful. The trees are starting to match the sky color because it's been smoky <laughs> and orange for... We've been living in Mordor is yeah, pretty much right? where we've been for the last month. Right. <laughs> but it's actually a sad day. Today saw the passing of the great... Eddie Van Halen. I saw that. We are going to be talking about two dead musicians. And Eddie was, I think, on the list, perhaps, of the top 100 living musicians. I bet you if Rolling Stone did a list, Eddie would have made the cut. Let's hope (laughs) that he would have been up there at least, somewhere near. Yeah. you got to, I got to thinking on this today. You got a, a, uh, if you had to say this is the greatest living musician who 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 is in your top? Spot? Man, that's that's so tricky. I don't even know because there's like, I actually Googled this like top ten living <laughs> musicians, okay. and it was a bunch of foreign names that I've never heard before <laughs> because we don't we aren't that invested in the classical music world, right? <laughs> so we don't know who a ton of them actually are. We've never not, heard them before. Not dissecting the technique of violin players in right. Vienna. Right. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> I'm going back and forth on this. I got John Williams on one side and cool. I got uh, Brian Wilson on the oh, other. Oh, sure. Yeah. Brian Wilson's a good one. Paul Simon was one of my my top ones there got as Paul well. Simon? Yeah. And then if you think like if, if John Williams counts, then does Bob Dylan count? Of course Bob Dylan because, counts. I mean, Bob Dylan... Not the greatest musician, but okay. the things that he writes, they might count. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Eh, it's it. You're, you're working with the music, man. Yeah, it's true. So, Yeah, fun fact about Brian Wilson. He, he wrote a bunch of those charts and stopped touring with the Beach Boys. They, they got somebody else to do the Brian Wilson part. Sure. He just stayed at home and wrote some music. Yeah, because he uh, had to deal with some some other stuff did you see that movie with john cusack no i know of it but i haven't seen uh, that one's but we i I couldn't finish it it's a brutal movie it's a a biography of brian wilson and it's got uh paul galifianakis what is that guy's name yeah it's a no no zach galifianakis no it's the guy who plays are you talking about paul giamatti yeah Oh, Thank okay. You. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking through the Pauls, I know. I get all these Italians confused, apparently, which brings us to Salieri. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent segue. 
We got through the first half of the phenomenal Amadeus last time, and we're talking about F. Murray Abraham's Salieri as an Enneagram 4 villain. Just a perfect picture of, of a 4 villain. The transition to demonic happened in the last scene as he takes his olive wood cross off the wall and chucks it into the fire. And now it's just going to be all, how do I destroy God's beautiful creation in front of me? Is apparently. Can we just, can we talk about for a second, just, just, just so dramatic, taking your cross off the wall and putting <laughs> it into the fire. I did how, not think like, about this. Yeah. Like, it. it's just so dramatic. <laughs> like, if somebody you knew did that in your presence, you'd be like, Wow trying to make a statement there. And I know there's a lot of heart behind it, but like, oh, it's so dramatic. Is there a desire for the emotional experience? Why burn the cross? I mean, it's a, it's an outward reflection of his inward frustration. Let's use the word frustration (laughs) at God. He's like, okay, I'm done with you. So he takes the cross off the wall and puts it in a fire. I mean, I think you're right though. It's, it's more than just, for the sake of the movie, you know, this will this will be something that affects the audience, especially if you're an audience member who who has a connection to to Christian faith. You might be mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. Um, but for and that character, big deal. Putting a cross ca- in the fire. Ugh. Yeah. And this this character is alone in their room by themselves. Right. Talk about the drama for a four in that it's not necessarily for anyone's attention there. Mm-hmm. But perhaps they're engaging some. I imagine there's some engagement of emotion there, and and it, it certainly is going to be a um, needing an outward sign of the inward experience. Yeah. So like the 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 feeling that he's going through, he needs to have some kind of visceral, like like something that that he can touch, something that he can point to, something that he can he can smell and and mm. and and see and like it, there has to be that dramatic experience to go along with the emotionality of it. We talked off air about how fours will overindulge rich foods and sweets mm-hmm. that translates into his appreciation and experience of Mozart's music. Could it also be the case that there's a desire to indulge, if, if, if my soul is going into these places anyway, I'm going to indulge the dark, symbolic experiences there and, and savor them. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and certainly it's, it's all tied into this wanting experience to be holistic. Yeah. So that, this, is, this is part of, part of the four's experience of the world is that... that like this is one of the reasons that they're so good at creating art that helps the rest of us understand what they're trying to communicate. It's because they're they're trying to take something that's not tangible and make it tangible because they want to put it lightly they this is a moment of of soul and physical being united. Mhm. So 
Salieri is going to a dark place. Mozart is likely going to a dark place as well. He has money issues. The Oscar Wayne cut moves to Mozart a bit drunk, walking home. The marriage of Figaro is playing in his head. He walks into his stairwell and looks up, and his father has arrived at the top of the stairs, and we hear those two bold, dark musical chords that begin the climax of Don Giovanni. And Mozart smiles Papa. and is enthusiastic, and his dad is there. But it's as though those chords are actually what's playing in his heart. And the seven who is immediately moving away from these dark emotions celebrates that his dad is there and then immediately hugs him, shows him around his flat. Look at how wonderful it is. Here's your new daughter-in-law. And he's trying to get his dad into this adventure. And then they, he takes him out to a party that night. Mozart is going to be important to set up. We're not going doing the deep dive with Mozart and his sevenness, but... To understand where Salieri is at, it's important to understand why Mozart's doing what he's doing. They go to this party, it's packed with people, and Mozart has become the centerpiece of, uh, of the party. Salieri arrives, and uh, everyone's wearing masks. His dad has this very large black mask on that has a smile on the front and is like a miserable face on the, the back. We see it in the... In the poster, the comedy tragedy mask, and then something happens, and it's a, it's a it's a great delicate touch in the midst of this huge packed room. Mozart begins playing Bach from memory on a harpsichord as kind of a party trick, and then they flip him upside down, and he plays backwards. And there's kids who are there, and they're watching him do do this, and they just smile. And Salieri has arrived, and he has a mask on, and he finishes the piece. Uh, Mozart finishes the piece. And he wants more. He wants more of this experience. And he says, another, do another, someone else. Give me a name. Who else should I play? And they start yelling out composers. Um, and, dis and Mozart's just dismissing them. I don't like Handel. I don't like that guy. I don't like this guy. And Salieri, from behind his mask, says, Play Salieri. And Mozart brightens up. Now that is a challenge. That is a challenge. <laughs> And giggling, he turns and sits at a keyboard and then begins a wicked parody of Salieri. He's like sticking his tongue out into almost into his nostril, plays a, a little march, and then he makes a farting noise as, and it like is aimed at Salieri behind him. And everybody in the room begins to laugh. And Salieri older Salieri, reminiscing about this experience. He's just burned this cross out of, of, out of anger for this man. Go on. Mock me. Laugh. That was not Mozart laughing, Father. That was God. It's a retaliation, apparently. That was God laughing at me through that, through that obscene giggle. Mm -hmm. Go on, Signore. Laugh. Laugh. Show my mediocrity for all to see. One day I will laugh at you before I leave this earth. I will laugh at you. I got two questions for you on this. Well, one, one, there's the... Let, actually, let's just talk about the, the scene, and then I got two questions for you. But there's a lot of foreness going on yeah, um, absolutely. in this scene. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I also do want to like make sure that, that we know that 
the bigness, the weight of the role that Mozart's father, Leopold, plays in Mozart's life. I don't think Mozart recognizes that because of mm. his sevenness. But like part of what the movie is trying to do is show how looming Leopold's presence is over yep. Mozart's psyche. Yep. And then this is the scene where Salieri figures that out. Like yes. he starts to see that a little bit. Yes. Um, or, or at least we start to see that Salieri is going to use this. Right. The pieces, the pieces are certainly set up here. Right. For the latter revelation when Don Giovanni gets played. Right. And Salieri says, oh, that's about this. Understands it better than anyone else does. Yep. And, and how, how four-ish and... And I feel bad saying it this way, but about how sad for Salieri that he would invite ridicule to yeah. himself. Yep. Is there something about he throughout this movie wants this one man's praise? Right. And here he's behind a mask and even stepping out from behind the shadows in some ways, inviting what's your authentic opinion about me? Yeah. And in his mind, he conflates Mozart's opinion with God's opinion. Ooh. Yep. But it's also like he's he's already seen what Mozart thinks of his music. Yeah. He just hasn't seen it in an obscene way yet. It's also the case he has a terrible radar because Mozart's not interested in giving an honest assessment of his music right he's right. drunk he, and playing a party clown yeah he's already sort of made fun of him <laughs> to his face before right what is he gonna do when he's drunk and already making fun of everyone on the flip side does anybody in this city think that salieri is a mediocrity oh of course not he's the core composer he is a successful professional musician who right. can do things that very few other people in the world can do. And yet this one person. It seems to me that there's something to be said here about Fours going to stress. Hmm. That the move, do you see this? That he moves to two there in his reaction. He, he actually wants love. Mm -hmm. he, he wants appreciation. Sure. Um, in that place where he's he's just not feeling comfortable, uh, that was that was what stood out to me is that this what, he's not getting what he wants. He's he's not feeling original. He's not feeling like like he's unique, and so he has moved in in stress to two in that space, and perhaps is inviting love. Sure. In a the in a more um, tell me what you think about me, but without taking off the mask kind of way. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There it is. If, if it were the case, cause it all almost begins that way. Cause Mozart shakes his finger and he goes that, that is a challenge. Of course it's not a challenge. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's almost, he's, he's setting up the pins to knock them over. Right. And yet I bet you for, for two seconds, we think, Oh, he's actually gonna going to give this man, something i mean if you do think that you haven't been watching the film <laughs> that's probably right <laughs> cut to the future constance is pregnant father is living with them now 
Woman arrives, offers her housekeeping services, and, and she says they have been already paid for by a great admirer. And Salieri has hired this woman to spy. And now Salieri is going to begin to expose. He's going to try and tear down Mozart in the only way that he knows how, which is to take him out professionally. Begins telling uh, the, the other musicians and the king of all the illegal things that uh, Mozart is doing, because apparently Mozart is writing um, his next piece, The Marriage of Figaro, based on this play that is French, and it has been outlawed because the king's sister, Antoinette, has written that she has become quite frightened in France recently, and it's probably because of material like this. Well, it's got to be. It's got to be. Marriage of Figaro excites, excites all the passions, I guess. <laughs> Stirs up French Revolution. Poor Antoinette. <laughs> Salieri then floats that Figaro is a ballet, and again, ballets are faux pas. And then you, we cut to the scene where Mozart enters Salieri's office. Please, I've no one else to turn to. What is it? It's unbelievable. The director has actually torn up a huge section of my music. They say I have to rewrite the opera. But it's perfect as it is. And arguably, he is correct. I can't rewrite what's perfect. Please, can't you talk to him? Why bother with Rosenberg? He's obviously no friend of yours. I could kill him. I mean, really, kill him. I actually threw the entire score in the fire. He made me so angry. And Salieri perks up. You burned the score? His reaction here is fantastic. Like, this is the guy who wrote it and could probably write it again. Yeah. But Salieri's like, how you you threw a holy relic into the fire. It's okay to burn a cross. Can't go burn in the marriage of Figaro. Seriously. <laughs> thinking, Mozart. No, my wife took it out in time. Thank God. It's not fair that a man like that should have power over our work. But there are those who have power over him. I think I'll take this up with the emperor. Excellency, would you? With all my heart, Mozart. Oh, thank you. And he kisses his hand. Thank you. Please, please, Herr Mozart, please. It's not a holy relic. I suppose there you go. It's two holy relics. Yeah. Ish. I mean, the neither one of them are really relics, but they are uh, objects of immense value. Mm -hmm. And yet, in the the conversation around value, there. Cut to old Salieri. I don't need to tell you, I said nothing, whatever, to the emperor. I went to the theater ready to tell Mozart something, anything. When suddenly, in the middle of the third act, to my astonishment, the emperor, who never attended rehearsals, suddenly appeared. And the emperor, of course, comes in, he sees dancing with no music, because again, no ballets. And he thinks the opera looks ridiculous, which it does. It's dancing without music. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's silly. Well, look at them. Then the emperor decides on the spot to change the decree about ballet so that he can see the scene with the music. And Mozart bows to the emperor. And then he looks right at Salieri as though Salieri is responsible with a huge smile and gratitude. And it's as though Salieri has stumbled into an elevation in Mozart's mind. It, like, this guy really does have tremendous power. 
Hmm. And so it's a, just a new chip that Salieri has, even though he's trying to destroy him and was the one that started all the problems. Not just power, but this is this is someone that I can rely on. This is someone that I can trust to, to help me out. As opposed to everybody else in the city, I suppose. Right, right. Salieri attends the opera and is astounded. I saw a woman disguised in her maid's clothes. Hear her husband speak the first tender words he has offered her in years, simply because he thinks she is someone else. I heard the music of true forgiveness filling the theater. And again, the theme of forgiveness here is a centerpiece in this in in uh, *Marriage of Figaro*. Conferring on all who sat there, perfect absolution. Again, this is this is something perhaps you know we'll, we'll see in other places. God was singing through this little man to all the world, unstoppable, making my defeat more bitter with every passing bar. Very demonic move there. It's like the like it's opposing forgiveness and absolution. Like uh, who thinks those are bad? But here it's the like he is like almost taken on the devil posture. And the incredible self focus here. Yeah. Of, of he is the only one who can really understand what's happening. That that God is offering forgiveness to the entire audience through this music. Mm-hmm. And the thing that he takes that as is a, a, a dig on his self. Yes, it's all about him. I didn't think right. about that. It's I saw the woman. I heard the music. God was singing through this little man, making to my all defeat. The world. <laughs> but he knows there's power there. And that power is overwhelming. There's like genuine soul-clutching beauty here. And then, do you know what happened? And he sees the emperor who yawns. A miracle. And Salieri is saved. There actually is <laughs> salvation in this in this scene. Would he call it salvation? Is it salvation? For, for Salieri in terms of his ambitions. Oh, right, right, yes. Everyone hears that the royal ear was overwhelmed by, by this opera. And this piece, The Marriage of Figaro, arguably the greatest piece of music ever composed, fails with the public. Mozart is furious. He again comes to Salieri's office and he's venting. And Mozart says, What did you think of it yourself? Did you like it at all? In Salieri, who, I don't, who, does he lie? I mean, especially he does lie at times. But when it's he, about music, he doesn't. And and his lies are like like when when Mozart showed up earlier and asked for his help, his, his lie was that he was going to help him. But if Mozart had asked him something directly about the music, he, he every, time and time and time again, when he is asked about the music, he yeah. always speaks the truth, and he always gives it glowing praise. Right. He says, "I thought it was marvelous." Of course. The best opera yet written. I know it. Why didn't they come? Steve Morris, uh, the Fantastic Cinephiles podcast, says the, this movie in many ways is about the struggle of the artist. On one side, you have the public pleaser 
My goal was to compose for God, but I find I am composing for the system and I'm doing what is necessary in order to be able to have status. And on the other side, you have the artist who can only be who they are, constantly struggling and constantly failing to convince people who know way less than him to give him the chance to just perform the art. I thought that was Mm. a great distinction here between these two types of, they embody those two types of artists, which are, which are everywhere. Right, yeah. Salary says, I think you overestimate our dear Viennese, my friend. Do you know you didn't even give them a good bang at the end of songs to let them know when to clap? You need to serve the mediocrities. I know, I know. Maybe you should give me some lessons in that. Again, Mozart being incredibly demeaning yeah, without any intention or <laughs> even real knowledge that what he's saying is offensive. This is true. The, Salieri's thing about doing the um, giving a good bang at the end of the song. Salieri knows that that is something that would demean Mozart's music. Yeah, and he's saying it as this sort of like sideways dig mm-hmm. at like like maybe you should dumb down your crap. <laughs> yeah, and and Mozart's like, yeah, maybe I should. You could help me with that. Yeah. Uh, Mozart's such a <laughs> jerk, and he has no idea. It's hilarious. Salieri do- doesn't take it, I think, like that, and he says, I wouldn't presume. Nevertheless, at the risk of imposing... And now he changes the subject. I would like you to see my new piece. It would be a tremendous honor for me. Oh, no. The honor would be all mine. Very authentic. Yeah. Who is Salieri in this scene? D- Mozart's drunk and mad and... Why didn't they appreciate me? I I think he he plays a couple of different roles in that. Like like he is operating as Mozart's confidant and like he knows exactly why this failed and he's sort of secretly reveling in the fact that it did fail, but he also knows that it shouldn't have failed. Mhm because it's amazing. Yeah. And he wants to praise Mozart in that way. And then he turn like I I think he does. I think Abraham does showcase that that he hears and feels that insult. Mm-hmm. So I and I don't know if this is just timing or what, but like then he turns and is looking for approval again. Yeah. So he he's in the position of power for a moment. And then he 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 essentially gets slapped in the face and then has that turn to where he needs the approval again. Yeah. Yeah. We then turn to Salieri, who's performing Auxer R. Diamoris, which is which as this is played out on stage, I don't think is bad. Right. It's performed with passion. When it ends, um, Salieri is is his body is engaged he's he's into it the crowd is into it and when it climaxes and ends Salieri immediately looks to Mozart's box and then he looks over and he bows to the king and that tells you where his priorities are right he's he's got a room full of people that are giving him a standing ovation in this moment this is a fantastic triumph and in reality, the only opinion he cares about is the man who's already left his booth. Yep. 
then something significant happens. Here, it seems to me, in this moment, Salieri is going to get everything that he wanted in his prayer to God at the beginning of the movie. Yep. The whole of Vienna, the greatest musical city, has just rejected Mozart's Figaro. Mm -hmm. But they have erupted at his performance. And the king comes forward and he stands in front of everybody. I believe, I believe it is the best opera yet written, my friends. Which was just what Mozart said about his own piece. Right. Salieri, you are the brightest star in the musical firmament. You do honor to Vienna and to me. And then the king gives him this civilian's medal and chain, places it around his neck. The room erupts. And that's actually when Salieri looks up and Mozart's box is empty. It's like, I've had all of this. See, see the praise I'm getting. And he looks up and gone. Right. Why isn't it good enough? I mean, I mean this, is, this is the plague of fours. Like why their, their opinion are filtered through a source such that they always want something that's a little out of reach. Mm -hmm. And, and he has reached the point where all of the things that he's actually looking for, he, he doesn't actually want any of that. Now that he knows that Mozart exists, all he really wants is Mozart's approval because he knows that Mozart is better than him. He was entirely happy. Everyone liked him. And then Mozart came is yep. what he said. Yeah. And it, everyone still likes him. Right. It's, it's that he's, he sees someone with amazing talents and he cannot help but make it about himself. Right. He cannot help but make it about his artwork. Right. And, and this is, this is the, the difference between envy and jealousy. Jealousy wants what someone else has. Envy it is more about the lack that keeps me from having the life that that person has. Mm. Like Mozart could have everything in the world because he's that talented. Mm -hmm. That is what Salieri wants. Mm -hmm. He he's at the point now where he doesn't actually want the acclaim or, or the acclaim isn't good enough because he hasn't really earned it because there's someone better than him now. Yeah. It's again the case that with envy, you s when envy strikes, we see all the good things poured into somebody else's lap, but we miss the struggles. And mm -hmm. after Salieri's performance, we cut to Mozart returning home. Wolfie, your father is dead. And then we cue those two big notes. And now Don Giovanni. again in probably the same building but it's dark this time and we are hearing this dark opera that is just moving very slowly along and Mozart is directing and Salieri is speaking and he's in his booth clearly alone and he's even kind of in the shadows and he is watching the opera and he is mesmerized in this scene I said that my favorite scene was was uh 
Mozart redoing. What was the word for the it? The little march. That, yeah, the march. Yeah. This is it, actually. Yeah. The physicality of performances of these two actors, who, mm-hmm. who neither one of them say anything. You just have right. uh, old Salieri speaking over them. Right. And their emotion mm-hmm. is just exceptional. Yeah. Um, and so the old Salieri is speaking over them and saying, I knew. Only I understood. And again, here, here's this has been the case throughout this piece. Is He's the only one that gets it. Right. Only I understood that the horrifying apparition was Leopold, raised from the dead. Wolfgang had actually summoned up his own father to accuse his son before all the world. It was terrifying and wonderful to watch. The devil, of course, is the accuser. Um, There... It was terrible and wonderful to watch. Can you talk about Fors seeing the beauty in dark things? Well, it has. It's it's tied into this this strive for authenticity and the fullness of experience, and and you can't have real good without also knowing real pain, mm. and and so so being in and experiencing pain and suffering is is valuable there's there's beauty there there's something to to be experienced that's true in that space and so fours don't shy away from that they're 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 okay with being in that because it's true mm-hmm. and seeing seeing this moment like for Salieri watching Watching Mozart sort of exercise his demons in this way, it's it's beautiful because it's true. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I didn't. I mean, maybe this is obvious now. He's doing therapy essentially. I mean, that's a that's maybe a crass way to to talk about this piece. But as he's that processing the emotional processing, mm-hmm. well, and if it's him getting it out. If Mozart had had healthy people around him that could have like walked him through this in this yeah. moment, like if Salieri had even the slightest amount of of empathy, yeah, that he could have been like, okay, this is actually someone I need to help, then he could have come alongside Mozart and walked him through this because Salieri can see what Mozart is actually suffering. Because he, Mozart is putting it into his music. Yeah. And Salieri has lost his own father. Right. But he didn't like his father, so. That's Mo- Does Mozart really like his father? I, I don't think that Mozart understands how bad his relationship with his father was. Yeah. I think he's always looking for his father's approval. Two men to be feared, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, there's something there. Um, so you're saying, like, no, the madness, the enemy, the madness, the man splitting in half through my influence. I saw to it Don Giovanni was played only five times in Vienna, but in secret I went to every one of those five, worshipping sound I alone seemed to hear. Only he understands, only he understands. 
Right. And as the music builds and we see Mozart clearly emotional directing this half, he's, he's directing in front of a half full room, which is just a, it's again, a beautiful detail that he's going to get a spattering of applause at the end. Right. But he, he's not just going for it for the sake of the crowd. He's right. going he's for it because, it. yeah, this is every, he wants this moment. Mm-hmm. And as I stood there, understanding how that bitter old man was still possessing his poor son, even from beyond the grave, I began to see a way, a terrible way, I could finally triumph over God. Again, gorgeous scene. We see deep emotion, and it's all complemented by that dark music that the director simply lets breathe and the piece ends with the, one of the details is Mozart's not wearing a wig this time. Mm-hmm. He wore, wears a wig throughout and is very interested early on in wearing these wigs, but now it's his natural hair and there are flames and demons and the singers are crying out and the whole set actually begins to fall apart. And he is clearly exhausted at the end. And then it's just, you know, golf claps <laughs> from, right. from all the commoners who yeah. don't understand. And F. Marie Abrahams in his booth in the corner, clutching his fist with with just he's his all of his energy is in this, and he is just taking in the spectacle in all of its depths, and it's clearly emo- emotional for him. Mm-hmm. Again, soul and physical is is sort of united in this in this moment for him that like he's having a, a visceral experience of real feelings. Yeah. yeah. Cuts to a small shop and a man is walking the streets with a box that has Leopold Mozart's mask in it. Um, Suzanne Stabile said this in one of our last podcasts that fours need places where they are able to empathize with the inner struggles of others. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen for Salieri. Right. In the ways that we are saying. And he's, he's so unhealthy that he hasn't reached out in real ways. Like he, he was all about the, the acclaim before, and now he's all about, destroying Mozart Mm -hmm. and like he's he's just a remarkably unhealthy person throughout this whole story which means that he cannot see outside of himself in this way is that the exit door for those struggling with envy is to somehow name and push into places of empathy for the other for the struggles of those around him Absolutely. I the, that's a that's a thing that that I think all fours need to experience because they look out at a world and see the places that they don't fit. They see how they stand out from everyone else who's getting along just fine. Mm-hmm. And when fours can have their their sort of me too experiences, when fours can see that other people struggle in the ways that they do, then all of a sudden they're not alone. Then they can start to connect with other people and they can start to to understand that they aren't actually that different and that and they can begin to share their experiences with other people in more interesting ways. Like yeah. I, I I'm I'm drawn to 
how often Salieri and 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 like we've made reference to this, but like how often Salieri communicates that he is the only one that can actually see that can understand Mozart's music, mm-hmm. and. I'm not really sure that that's true. I I bet there are a, a handful of people who are really moved by Mozart and mm. and like like he had patrons and and like his his wife is obviously super into him and um so like for the sake of this story it's told in such a way that that Salieri is the only one who really gets it. But also Mozart's music has lasted for hundreds of years so i'm pretty sure only one person wasn't the only one who saw what was going on there but that's how he sees it he feels like he is the only one yeah who understands what's going on and i bet if he were to start like reaching outside of himself and having real human connection with other people he would start to notice that other people connect to mozart's music as well push into equanimity there maybe is that like we're all in this together i'm i'm alongside you and everyone else and and nobody's experience is exactly the same but people do have experiences that are not that different as to completely isolate them yeah so salieri arrives at night at mozart's loft where mozart's been drinking and knocks on the door. He's wearing Leopold's mask. Door opens. Mozart is immediately terrified because he's a haunted man at this point. And Salieri offers money to write a mass. Um, and of course, this is going to be a mass for the dead. It's going to be a funeral. Uh, so who's this for? Who's dead? Says Mozart. A man who deserved a requiem mass and never got one. Cut to old Salieri. And here, here, here finally is the four insecurity. My plan was so simple that it terrified me. First, I must get the death mass, and then I, I must achieve his death. His funeral. Imagine it. The cathedral. All Vienna sitting there. His coffin. Mozart's little coffin in the middle. There is organizing here. There is planning here. There is control here that he has earned through his own ingenuity. And then, in that silence, music. A divine music bursts out over them all. A great mass of death. Requiem Mass for Wolfgang Mozart, composed by his devoted friend, Antonio Salieri. Oh, what sublimity, what depth, what passion in the music. Salieri has been touched by God at last, and God forced to listen. Powerless to lose, powerless to stop. I, for once, in the end, laughing at him. The only thing that worried me was the actual killing. How does one do that? How does one kill a man? 
Yeah, it's one thing to dream about it. Very different when, when, you, when you have to do it with your own hand. What you see there? It's sort of hilarious that he has this plan to plagiarize Mozart's music as though no one else will know. <laughs> like this ties back into the whole thing about about him thinking that he's the only one who gets Mozart's music. Yeah. Cuz he he thinks that he's going to be able to to just like take this thing that Mozart himself wrote, kill the man and then pass off his music as his own and and receive the glory that he's looking for. Which, of course, we know that he will never actually feel. Yeah. Because he'll know for the rest of his life that this wasn't real. Mm. And he, like, right. if he can't be satisfied with getting praise for his actual music, he will never be satisfied for getting pra- with getting praise for someone else's music. Is it the case that it's maybe even a step darker than that, that he no longer cares on that front in the same way he really just wants to spit in the face of God and he's going to, he's going to at least achieve that. I, I think he's still looking for some kind of a claim. Like, like the thing that I think the thing that he thinks will be the offense to God is that he killed God's instrument. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And it'll be all wrapped up in this musical, beautiful bow. Right. And also hilarious that he, he like the most, crucial part of the plan is how Mozart's going to die and he hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like like <laughs> like that, that like that's the thing that actually matters in his plan and he doesn't know how to do that yet. What is that about? Is that about anything? I don't know. I I I think it speaks to I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head who what other fours are on our list of villains, but like, like there's a certain amount of villainy represented in four. I I don't know that it 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 moves to the place of being okay with murder. Okay, yeah, you know there can be like, an obsession with death for fours, yeah. Certainly, but 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 that doesn't mean you're going to kill somebody. Killing yeah. someone else is a different kind of. It it's a it's a step in a different direction in my mind. Yeah. And for him it's I see fours more interested in the social destruction of others mm. than in actual murder. Yeah. You know? Come on. That's a good line. There's a character we're gonna talk about when we get to sixes who routinely destroys and never creates. Mm-hmm. And it feels like Salieri is the opposite. He's consistently trying to create, but he has a hard time destroying, as it were. Right, right. Um, I don't know if there's any wisdom in that, but that was the thing that kind of popped in my head. Because how how can you possibly destroy something beautiful? Yeah. Um, we then see Mozart working constantly, and the Requiem is causing him to grieve and drink and grieve, and Mozart's beginning to look more and more sick in each scene, and Salieri continues to spread rumors behind the scenes, and no one will hire Mozart, and he confesses that he can't do the work to Salieri in a scene, and he confesses that the Requiem is killing him to his wife, and he works, and he stays up, and his wife finally leaves him and goes to another town, 
I do want to say something real quick about the rumors that he's spreading. Yeah. Because because there's there's a thing about about the the quote unquote lying that Salieri does throughout this whole story that that does not jive with Four's desire for authenticity. Mm-hmm. But the lies that Salieri is telling, the rumors that he is spreading fit with Mozart's character. Yeah, sure, sure. So like one of the specific ones that he tells, uh, I think he's telling the king, the emperor, is that uh, Mozart was sort of assaulting some of the young ladies that he was tutoring, which we don't know if that's actually true or not. We don't see it happening. Sure. But it kind of fits with the character that Mozart is. Like he's he's a bit of a philanderer. Like we don't, necessarily know that he ever cheated on his wife but yeah it makes a lot of sense with the way that he parties and carries on and yeah like he gets drunk and goes out like he leaves her several times to go out and get drunk with other people mm-hmm. and 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 so the the character the the mental image that Salieri has in his head of who the person is these are the type of things that that person would do mm-hmm so, so the the rumors that he's spreading, the quote unquote rumors that he's telling to to sort of defame Mozart, they're not that far from reality, but we don't know that they're actually true. And this is one this is one of the ways that unhealthy fours lie to uh, about others to to sort of defame others and to sort of boost themselves is they are really good at leaning into things that are true and just letting untruths sort of flow from that place as they naturally would. Yeah. So again, to push into that idea of the low side of your security number, there is a judgment taking place there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wrapping up the character of Mozart as a whole and saying, this is who this person is. Yeah. And making sure that other people know it as well. It's an ordering of other people's opinions. And a sort of teaching, a directing. Like Ooh, I, I think yeah. of the way that that ones want to improve others, uh, want to help them be better people. Well, you can't you can't be better if the people that you're spending your time with are philanderers. Mm-hmm. So you need to know that that this person is someone that you shouldn't be respecting in order for you to keep your standing, whatever. Is there uh, an embracing of control as well there? Oh, certainly. He has, yeah, he he shuts down several of Mozart's pieces, and, um, like, he, he uses his influence to essentially stop Mozart's career. Naturally, once, you know, Fors will withdraw for attention, but pushing into, okay, well, I will, I will exert my expertise embrace those places of power and then gain control in that secure space in a Mm -hmm. diabolical way. Yeah. That would be that materializing. Yeah, absolutely. Mozart's wife leaves him, uh, to go to, to just get away because he's so unhealthy. And so he's alone. He continues to work. He's looking more and more sickly. Um, he's playing in a performance just to, to make money and he's clearly exhausted and he falls over while he's playing the piano. Salieri hasn't been watching the show at all. He's been watching Mozart and he goes down to help and he pays to have him transported back to his flat. 
and he takes Mozart home, gets him into bed, and then we have the final big climactic scene. I suppose it's not the final scene, it's the but it is the climax of this movie. And mm. Salieri comes in and he asks him, "Where is your wife?" She's not well either. She went to the spa. You are so good to me. Truly. Thank you. Please, please. No, no, I, I, I mean to come to my opera. You were the only colleague of mine who came. This is something new, I think. I don't know that Mozart has ever said, Salieri, your opinion of my music matters. Hmm. But this is him. He's clearly weak and vulnerable, and that's what comes out of him. Mozart, I would never miss anything you had written. It's just a far to fill. No, no. It's a sublime piece. <laughs> the grandest of it all, me. I tell you, you are the greatest composer known to me. And again, entirely authentic. Right. He when when speaking directly about the music, he has to be honest. Mm. It's a violent knocking at the door. Mozart starts uh, to get up and looks around. Salieri goes over. He answers it. It's those Mozart had been working for. And Salieri takes their money. He pretends it's from the person who wants the Requiem Mass. And he pushes him for more work. Cut to his wife, who's going to return home. And then it comes back to Salieri and Mozart are now working on the Requiem. Where did I stop? The end of the recordare. Statuens in parte next. So now, confutatus. Confutatus maledictus. Give a confounded flame sacrifice edictus. How would you translate that? Consigned to flames of woe. Do you believe in it? Fire which never dies, burning you forever. Oh, yes. Because, of course, that's what he's been living through this whole movie, yeah? Right. And he knows he's going there. Yeah. Well, there is, a, there is the hell uh, that awaits, and then there is the hell that is a present reality, and Envy has that flame to mm -hmm. it that he mm -hmm. can't escape this kind of fire that never dies. Right. I have, I have, to, I have to destroy this person. Possible. Come, let's begin. We ended in F major. Yes. So now, A minor. Start with the voices. Basses first. Second beat of the first time. Time. Common time. Second beat of the first measure. And if you don't know anything okay. about music, this uh, on uh, one front might sound like gobbledygook. On another front, you're watching two artists who are using insider language, and you're just loving it. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about submarines, but when I watch Hunt for Red October and they're shouting out terms, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, this is wonderful. And that's how this feels to me. And, of course, they're composing. Apparently, they're composing this song about a man being consumed in hell. Mm -hmm. And this is a song about Salieri, isn't it? Right. There are candles lit, but Salieri is now alive. Uh, more so than really any time in the in the movie. He's he's doing great work now. And he's right. writing down all the beauties of a guy burning in hell. <laughs> I just think that was funny. And it is captured so well. Um 
and there's sheet music everywhere. Cineflix is a YouTube channel and has this as their number one musical moment in all of film. And they point out the movement from what's called diegetic uh, music, which is music that you hear in the movie that the characters hear. So like Mozart is singing. Right. And so both of them hear Mozart singing, but then we can hear the underscore and we can hear the, the music that's on top of that, where we're actually hearing Tiffany's play and, you know, and, uh, and the horns going and, and, and it's this back and forth and back and forth. And the whole time Mozart is sweating and Salieri is experiencing this new experience of God composing through Mozart, as it were, and, and he's alive and Mozart's clearly dying. And that juxtaposition, I just think, is real interesting as well. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I don't know if we can get into any ground there, but well, there's the the this is actually the the one place where I see the stress of two, okay, more than anywhere else in the whole film. Mm. Because as he said a few a little while ago, how how do you actually kill a man? Like like the the actual doing it is the hard part. And here he is knowing that his behavior is causing this person to die. Yeah. And, and he, he, there, there is certainly that, that aspect that he wants the Requiem to be finished, but he will do everything he can to help him finish it. Sure. 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 This is the unhealthy two coming out in stress because, because his, his plan is coming to fruition and also, Oh my God, I'm killing this person. And like, like you yeah. start to see that play out in in how he's taking care of Mozart. Mm-hmm. Like when Mozart collapses, Salieri is the like he rushes to go help him, mm-hmm. and and because he's stuck in that weird place of like this is someone that he so greatly admires and wants the respect of and 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 understands the kind of beauty that Mozart is capable of creating and also he's trying to destroy him at the same time and living in that tension is like that's part of what's killing Salieri like that is part of his descent into hell and in this moment where his plan is coming to fruition he sees that he enters into a stress place and begins to help. What's interesting is, and we brought this up with Suzanne, who didn't give us an answer. She was, she said, we need to talk about this at a different time. But the place where, <laughs> where security and stress touch hands is an interesting spot because I see the opposite. What I see is the low side of one here because it is he's clearly killing somebody, but he is passionate about ordering all the music, and he is he has the ability to organize and get everything exactly as it ought to be. He has the skills. He has earned his place at the table. And yet the what he is doing in this scene is, in theory, murdering a man. Mm-hmm. But there you go. It's There's something about... The, uh, I'm curious to find out the answer to this. Of Can you both experience the tools of your stress number and your security number at the same time? Right. Well, and he's... Like, because I mean, both arguments work. Because he he essentially volunteers to be Mozart's scribe. Yeah. When like he could have just said, "No, you need to finish this. I'm out of here." True. That that all makes sense. Yeah. Do you want to rest a bit? No, no, I'm not tired at all. We'll, we'll stop for a moment. Then we'll finish the lacrimosa. I can keep going, I assure you. 
Will you stay with me while I sleep a little? And Salieri looks at him dead on. I'm not leaving you. Very intimate and caring. And there's your that's two side. Yeah, that's the two coming out. And then Mozart again gets very vulnerable. I'm so ashamed. Of what? I was foolish. I <laughs> I thought you did not care for my work. Or me. And I don't think the work matters at all. I think he's really saying, I didn't think you cared for me. Hmm. And then the very the last thing that Mozart says. Forgive me. And then he closes his eyes. Mm -hmm. The sun rises. Salieri falls asleep. And there we are. Forgive me with the sun rising. You see anything there? And I'm, I'm sure there's things, good things to talk about, about Mozart and, and the sevenness of sort of like him coming to terms with the fact that, that he hasn't really been all that respectful to Salieri throughout their career mm -hmm. together. And, and and it also showcases that the the kind of place like like he said this earlier the we mentioned this earlier with the um him saying that none of my other colleagues came to this you're the only one like he views himself on the same level as Salieri at least in some yeah. ways yeah and and this has never been expressed before and I, I am super curious, like, if if this kind of conversation, which these two men could not have had before, but if they could have had a conversation where Mozart is able to express that he views Salieri as a colleague, if that had happened, I don't know, several years before this, would Salieri have gone down this path? Yeah. Depends on if his envy ate away his right. <laughs> ability. Right. <laughs> There's something about the seven going to the high side of one here, I think, uh, yeah. as well. The the uh, Mozart asking for forgiveness sure. strikes me as he's he's in that spot where he's exhausted. Mm. I'm not I'm not sure that he's avoiding pain anymore. And a move here is to kind of purge himself of of something that he's he's self reflective about. But that's the high side of one. Sure. I don't know. There might be something there. You have somebody going to low side of one, high side of one. So. Might be an interesting little juxtaposition there. Yeah. They fall asleep. Mozart's wife returns. Salieri wakes up, speaks to her a minute. She briefly engages Mozart, says she's back, and then sees the score that spread out across the bed. And she is furious. And she takes the score and all of Salieri's notes, and she puts them in a cabinet and locks it. <laughs> and she tells Salieri to leave immediately. And especially in the extended cut, we know why, because he's, he's abused her. And she goes back to see her husband, and Mozart has died from exhaustion. Everything that Salieri had worked for. He had it all. It was all right there. And then it's just suddenly taken, locked away. Yeah. Especially like oh. the the last several hours of just, just frenetic energy being spent on creating this incredible piece. Like like how devastating to go yeah. through the experience of like like receiving ambrosia from the mountain, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like getting right? to hold it in your hands and, and having it just, just taken away. 
so abruptly. Locked. Cuts to Mozart's funeral. And there's only a few mourners. And Mozart is put in this mass grave. And Salieri is watching from a distance. And he does not have the requiem. He has killed Mozart and has gained none of the joy that ought to have followed. And that's almost the end. Right. <laughs> well, that's the very dark uh, image of like uh, of of Mozart dying. Mm-hmm. Well, so. there's and there's a lot of things to be said about this. There, I mean, they don't think that he was actually put into that 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 was the kind of experience but he was I mean he died poor and and he uh of all things I looked this up yeah this was actually in the Paul Johnson book and okay. he said that uh he was buried in a mass grave okay but this is this was very common for the day and that there was a mass held nine days after his funeral he actually knew historically Mozart knew that he was composing the Requiem and he said that he was composing it for himself. Hmm. He knew that he was sick um, sure. there at the end and he actually did have an assistant um, who finished it, but it wasn't Salieri. Sure. But uh, they apparently had the performance of it at his uh, funeral and there okay. were 120 musicians and 4,000 people showed up. Oh, wow. Neat. But cool. Salieri, the historic Salieri, did not perform the Requiem. Right, right, yeah. Um, this actually comes from that Paul Johnson biography, which, again, is just fantastic. He says, uh, the Requiem, he says, the resulting orchestral sound is dark, low, solemn, saturnine, and hushed. It is indeed the music of death, yet there is no despair in the entire work. Another kind of seven note there. Right. On the, on the contrary, there is a consistent note of gentleness, love, reconciliation, and peace. The atmosphere of the Requiem is the spiritual equivalent to the spirit of forgiveness and acceptance we find in the last act of Figaro. It is hard to imagine two works more different than Figaro and Requiem, yet they both breathe this message, the theme in some ways of his very life, Never Despair. Yeah, that was a great summary there, and it ties yeah. two of the big musical pieces yeah, that we talked great. about. Um, before but we cut to the... For the sake of our Salieri. Yeah. I mean, this to me is, like, in, in so many ways, this film is such a great exposition of the unhealthiness of four <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and how destructive envy is and that it gets you nothing. No joy. Like, we talked about this. We've talked about this several times. Like, like... Yep. Salieri goes through all of this, and in the end, it amounts to nothing. Yeah. He doesn't get the thing that he's looking for. He lives with the guilt of Mozart's death. Like, it's just, he, he gets nothing out of it. Envy does nothing but to destroy him. A brilliant uh, thing worth finding on YouTube on the flip side is F. Murray Abraham wins the Academy Award for this performance, gets up. And the first person he thanks is Tom Hulse. Mm, yeah, and and takes his moment to 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 give to the the excellence of his coworker. Yeah, and, and what a, a a perfect juxtaposition of yeah. two different types of relationships between Absolutely. two different types of artists. Right, and Abraham himself might be a four, and and that's a great way of of like 
Like it's good for fours to practice empathy. It's good for fours yeah. to to intentionally see themselves in other people's stories. And it's good for fours to sort of hand off the kind of praise that they're looking for because they're like it's not all about them. Mm. So it's perfect. Yeah. Cut to the last scene. <laughs> you merciful God. He destroyed his own beloved rather than let a mediocrity share in the smallest part of his glory. He killed Mozart and kept me alive to torture. <laughs> at this point, he actually is kind of, he's divorced from reality at this point. Right. 32 years of torture, 32 years of slowly watching myself become extinct. My music growing fainter, all the time fainter. Till no one plays it at all. His. And this is when a servant comes in, and the servant's kind of dumb. And he goes, good morning, time for the water closet. Then we have your favorite breakfast, sugar rolls. He loves those. Again, talking to Salieri as though he's just a child. Salieri then looks at the priest. He says, I will speak for you, Father. Which is him flipping the intro, because the father was going to say prayers for Salieri. Right. But now, I speak for all mediocrities in the world. I am their champion. I am their patron saint. <laughs> These are all very unhealthy self-reflections, yeah? Right. And then to all the mentally ill in the asylum as he gets wheeled through. Mediocrities everywhere. I absolve you. I absolve you. I absolve you. The, the movie you. began with Pieta, 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 and here you. it's I absolve you, I absolve you, I absolve you. And so it's like this these bookends of forgiveness. And then the movie fades to black, and we hear... <laughs> What's that last scene about? Well, I think it is just just wrapping up a bow on the fact that, that Salieri didn't learn anything he never grew he never like he didn't let that experience change him yeah he he actually internalized it so much that after 32 years he is not someone who got to experience the life of the greatest one of the greatest composers that's ever lived but he is in fact the patron saint of mediocre people Mm. Like he and and it's it's entirely self-focused. He's elevating himself to a place where he is he's above everyone else, but everyone else like like it he's the first loser. Yeah. Yeah, like he's the number one loser. Yeah. And but it's it's all about himself. Yeah. Because he's he's never moved outside of that. There is something here about f he finds where he's special, and yet it's a s very unhealthy way to see oneself as right. well. Right. He was still quite wealthy and accomplished. Yeah. No reason to not look at his work and be satisfied. Right. And yet he's miserable, suicidal, hanging out with lunatics. 
And like he he lived to be sixty or seventy years old. Yeah. And the only thing that he can think about his life is that it was torture. Yeah. Uh. Ah. The unfortunate thing about this movie is it is hard to create a four who excels as a villain that d- doesn't somehow copy what's going on here. Right. So there, there is, as we get into our other three villains, one of them might have risen to the occasion, but, but there's two where it's just like, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you pulled it off as well as uh, F. Murray Abraham did. Right. So he set a mold. That's any last words on this movie before we get, we hit our last three characters real quick. I got nothing. If, if you haven't watched this and it sounds really boring to you, it might be kind of boring. Like it is a classic period film and I love period films. So like, of course I love this movie, but it's also, it's just, it's so well done. And if you can find the direct, the, the not director's cut, it's a lot shorter and it's the one that won the Academy Award. So it's great. It's brilliant and amazing. Find it on DVD. You'll be, of all things, movie buffs all over the world have, are, have bought up all the DVDs. They're really oh, sure. hard to find. Of course. I, bu- I, I bought one, yeah. and apparently it, it only plays on Swedish DVD players. Or something. <laughs> it's it's got one region. of those locks. Yeah. I'm like, how does that work? I'm sure there's a way to get past it, but I haven't hacked it yet. Yeah. Um, well, my next uh, number four is The Wicked Queen from Snow White. Here is your archetype for envy. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? And she is she is seeking the attention from the all-knowing mirror, apparently. Right. Magic mirror says to her, Famed is thy beauty, majesty. But hold, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas. She is more fair than thee. Have you seen Snow White recently by the chance? Cartoon? Yeah. No, I never liked the cartoon. I I hadn't seen this, I think, since I was seven. Sure. And it was it was interesting watching it again. I got the Disney Plus. Yeah. because uh, I'm a Star Wars fanatic. It is real basic. It's a it is a piece of art from its time that just it struck me as Nobody would make this right. kind of cartoon right. now. Very deliberate. Mm-hmm. And the storytelling is very clean, basic, and yet it's, it's, it's just a beautiful piece. Yeah. Anyway, um, and you'll know the story. I mean, there, there's, uh, she decides that she must murder Snow White. Because Snow White's prettier than her. Right? She can be, she can be the only one. But she has she has the power. She's the queen. And so there is again the the character who's the villain has power to do something. Mm-hmm. And they go to their security number on the low side. And so she puts together a plan. I right. suppose Salieri, the wicked queen, and two of the other characters we'll talk about, they're all real good at planning things right. in order to destroy the object of their their envy or their uh I mean it's all they're destroying people who they envy. Mm-hmm. And of course in Snow White, the, she, she gets a huntsman to take Snow White out into the woods, right? Take her far into the forest. Find some secluded plain where she can pick wildflowers. And there 
my faithful huntsman, you will kill her. But bring back her heart. <laughs> There's something about that side of the four. It's not just that I want you to kill her. I want you to to cut open her chest <laughs> and pull her heart out as the symbol of her murder and death. Well, and to have like like back to the like needing to have a visceral experience. That's like, it. Like soul means physical. It it's not that it's not just that Snow White needs to die. It's that that the queen needs to have something that she can touch. Yep. That makes this experience real. Ah, that's good. There's one scene, and and you'll have to pull this from the recesses of your brain, because as I started watching it, I was like, I've seen this, but it's fresh. Mm -hmm. It's where she transforms herself into an old woman, and she goes around with apples, Mm -hmm. and um, there's a scene in which the queen says to Snow White, Because you've been so good to poor old granny, I'll share a secret with you. This is no ordinary apple. It's a magic wishing apple. Wishing apple? Yes. One bite, and all your dreams will come true. Really? Yes, girl. Now, make a wish. And take a bite. And it, the thing here that I thought was interesting is the queen is weaponizing fantasies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we've talked about fours and and their their dreams their fantasies their fantasy life uh living in what's another word for that i mean it's and, and it has to do with sort of the idealism of fours yeah like that's the, what like for. the way the world could be and here it's weaponized yeah she knows the power of that and now she's going to use it on this woman mm-hmm. as a way to kill her sure I thought that was interesting in, yeah. uh, in terms of this classic character. Yeah, I like that. It's a good Unfortunately f- for the queen, the dwarves return, chase her up a manor, and, and uh, lightning strikes a place that she's standing and apparently has great power to, <laughs> to, to a, throw her off the edge. Like fantastically scary scene in a cartoon made for children. Yeah. Yeah. And all those Disney films, man, they got... There's some dark in there. You know how to make them scary. The stepmother in Cinderella is terrifying. Maleficent in general. It's true. It's great. Speaking of Disney, uh, another four that we have is Scar from The Lion King. Excellent. Based on Hamlet. I think this is the first uh, original story that Disney ever composed. Like all the rest are classic tales. Mm -hmm. Um, They wanted Original in quotes there. Yeah, <laughs> right. And this is this is based on Hamlet, but they may they obviously they make it a, a story about what they there's all sorts of African geography and they change all that up. But mm-hmm. the first line that comes out of Scar's mouth is him in his cave catching a mouse and holding it up. Life's not fair, is it? You see, I well, I shall never be king, <laughs> and you. Shall never see the light of another day. <laughs> and you. And it's just my life isn't good enough. Yeah. Because, you know, I want something more. Life isn't fair because I don't get to have what I want. I don't get to have what he has. Yeah. And of course, what's interesting here is he decides to kill his brother 
and the song that he sings is called Be Prepared. So prepare for the cool of the century. Be prepared for the murkiest scam. Meticulous planning, tenacity spanning, decades of denial is simply why I'll be king undisputed, respected, saluted, and seen for the wonder I am. Yes, my teeth and ambitions are bad. Be prepared. Doesn't that sound like one systematizing all the here's what I'm going to do in order to kill my brother? Ambition, systematic thinking. We talked about Commodus in our twos because I, I screwed up and put Commodus in the twos. No, but Commodus as a four is kind of of this sort as well. Right, right. Wants to have the thing that somebody else has. There's a scene where Simba returns, as you all will know at the end of Lion King. And one of the things that Scar does is he weaponizes inner criticism, which I thought was an interesting mm. move if we, yeah. if we talk about the low side of ones. Um, Simba has returned. He's strong. He's clearly powerful and is going to kill Scar, but Scar has knowledge. Tell them who is responsible for Mufasa's death. And this hits Simba, and Simba has to confess to it. He says, I am. It's true. You see, he admits it. Murderer. No, it was an accident. If it weren't for you, Mufasa would still be alive. It's your fault he's dead. Do you deny it? No. Then you're guilty. And that image of he has taken power from his adversary by getting them to critique themselves, mm-hmm. I found real well, interesting. And it's also it's it's weaponizing shame as well. Oh, there you go. Sure. Yeah. yeah and this is I, this is also a very unhealthy four thing that that sort of turns wanting you to feel as bad as I do. Mm. And so, so like turning turning shame into a weapon in that way of saying you should feel bad about this thing that you did because I feel bad about things that I've done. Your answer's better. Mine's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think there is is something real about about turning judgment into a weapon in that way. Like that is a, a secure place. Like that is that is a security move for a four. Um, and like we see that in Salieri, and um, and I think that we definitely see it in one of our other four villains. But but in this particular instance, like this is a great example of using shame as a weapon. Yeah. yeah. Boom. The last one I have is one John Doe from the movie Seven, who does strike me as a a unique character. Envy is going to be expressed in a different kind of way here but much more violent than Salieri. Right. There is so much here. You just got to talk over me. <laughs> th- I'm just going to say this. The car scene ends up having so much four going on. Yeah. And a four I, who I think is insecurity because he is powerful. He know his plan has been executed and he is just watching yeah. it unfold at yeah. this moment. Well, he is like, this is the one I was thinking of. He is turning judgment into a weapon like that is what mm. his move what his whole yeah. thing is about oh there there you go yeah, yeah. it's the foundation of that character yeah. so 
for those of you who haven't seen Seven, there's two cops. Imagine Sherlock Holmes and Watson is essentially how it is. One's very smart, one's young, um, played by Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. And the two cops are up front in a car, and a murderer has just walked in to a police department covered in blood, and he yells for these men. You're looking for me. And they they get him, tackle him. He tells them that he has one last thing to show them, um, but he won't do it unless they can go just the just the three of them. Um, so he's handcuffed in the back seat. The two cops are up front, and they have a conversation as they're traveling out of out of town, out of a city, out into the desert. Someplace is is what's taking place. Morgan Freeman says, uh, whose name is Somerset, he says, Who are you, Don? Who are you, really? What do you mean? All I mean at this stage, what harm can it do to tell us a bit about yourself? It doesn't matter who I am. Who I am means absolutely nothing. You need to stay on your left up here. And then Brad Pitt, Miles, says, So where are we heading? You'll see. We're not just going to pick up two more dead bodies, are we, John? Because they've had the, the, the big idea in Seven, obviously, is that he's killing people according to their sins. Mm-hmm. And there have been five murders. So there's two murders. Apparently, they're going to be left unless these two cops can stop the murders. Right. And so there's kind of this countdown feeling. And, but here is the murderer in their car. And they're looking for these two other bodies now. That wouldn't be shocking enough. We've got newspapers to think about, yeah? Wanting people to listen, you can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer. And then you'll notice you've got their strict attention. But the question is, what makes you so special that people should listen? I'm not special. I've never been exceptional. This is, though, what I'm doing. There's some buzzwords there. Hmm. The serial killer clearly is special. Right. But thinks that he's not. Or You got thoughts on what he's saying there? I think he's moved to this place of sort of like self-deprecation. Like he's not looking for attention in a way that we normally see with fours. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think this is this is a good example of the sort of like, one way to think of withdrawing for attention because he's he's trying to erase himself from the picture to Ooh. gain like like he he yeah. doesn't think that he is important enough to be the the thing that they pay attention to so he is doing something that people will pay attention to and it's sort of just like stepping back and creating a vacuum in order to gain attention into the vacuum. But what it really serves is to gain attention to himself. And he's just not aware of that. That's the identical desire of Salieri. Okay. In the prayer that Salieri has, it's God make my music immortal. Mm -hmm. And then I will be as well right Salieri I think has more of a like that that three wing where he wants his name 
to be the thing that's praised. Yeah. Whereas John Doe's name is John Doe. <laughs> you know, like he <laughs> he's in attempting to erase himself in a way of saying, I'm not important. The thing that I'm creating is important. Yeah. See, I, I don't I, I don't see anything special about it, John. That's not true. No, it is true. And the funny thing is, all this work. Two months from now, no one's gonna care. No one's gonna give a shit. No one's gonna remember. You can't see the whole complete act yet. But when this is done, when it's finished, it's going to be... People will barely be able to comprehend, but they won't be able to deny. Could the freak be any more vague? I mean, as far as master plans go, John. I can't wait for you to see. I really can't. It's really going to be something. Well, you know what? I'm going to be standing right next to you. So when this big thing happens, you be sure and let me know, because I wouldn't want to miss it. Oh, don't worry. You won't. You won't miss a thing. Anything else there? I mean, he's, he's trying to showcase how special he is but all at like simultaneously erasing himself from it. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of villains that we're going to talk about that are the most terrifying to me in terms of the real world. And it's those who do insane things and want people to follow them, to mm-hmm. repeat them. The, the Harris and Klebold are these sorts of villains where they're shooting up a school, mm-hmm. not only to murder classmates. They want to start a movement of sure. people shooting up schools, sure. which in in theory, they do. Right. They're the first, and then it's just this, there's a slow drip, 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 drip that begins mm-hmm. after them. And this character has that going on. Sure. Um, the character that we're going to look at for our sixes is that person, mm-hmm. and the person that we're looking at at sevens is that person sure. of, um, I want others to follow and do the the chaotic, uh, violent, um, world-cleansing thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that, isn't that what John Doe's doing? Right. There's the, the going to one villainy, is I want the world to be clean. Right. We're making the world a better place by showing the world how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah. What's so exciting? It's not too far now. Do you know that you're insane? It's more comfortable for you to label me insane. It's very comfortable. You enjoyed torturing those people. This doesn't seem in keeping with martyrdom, does it? I doubt I enjoyed it any more than Detective Mills would enjoy time alone with me in a room without windows. Isn't that true? How happy would it make you to hurt me with impunity? Uh, That felt felt like another four-ish. Like, here, it's, um, what would that be? Do you see a four-ish thing there? Well, it's it's the same thing as as Scar calling out Simba for murdering his father. Like, like how, how happy would you be to do something terrible to me? Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's weaponizing shame and judgment. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Pitt kind of smiles and said, That hurts my feelings. I would never. You wouldn't only because there's consequences. It's in those eyes of yours, though. 
Nothing wrong with a man taking pleasure in his work. I won't deny my own personal desire to turn each sin against the sinner. Wait a minute, I thought all you did was kill innocent people. Innocent? Is that supposed to be funny? An obese man? A disgusting man who could barely stand up? A man who, if you saw him on the street, you'd point him out to your friends so that they could join you in mocking him? A man who, if you saw him while you were eating, you wouldn't be able to finish your meal? And after him, I picked the lawyer, and you both must have secretly been thanking me for that one. This is a man who dedicated his life to making money by lying with every breath that he could muster to keeping murderers and rapists on the streets. Murderers. A woman. Murderers, John, like a yourself. A woman. So ugly on the inside that she couldn't bear to go on living if she couldn't be beautiful on the outside. A, a drug dealer, a, a drug dealing pederast, actually. And let's not forget the disease spreading whore. Only in a world this shitty could you even try to say these were innocent people and keep a straight face. But that's the point. We see a deadly sin on every street corner, in every home, and we tolerate it. We tolerate it because it's common. It's, it's trivial. We tolerate it morning, noon, and night. Well, not anymore. I'm setting the example. And what I've done is going to be puzzled over and studied and followed forever. There's a uniqueness there. There's a planning there. There's a judgment there. Mm-hmm. It's all in there. And and there's like something that we've talked about with a few other villains that um, because of his security, he thinks he's doing something right. Ooh, yeah. He's not self-aware. Well, his his security has allowed him to to believe that the thing that he's doing is like not just in the one way of like being for the betterment of mankind, but but that like this is part of security. Like all of us moving to security, if we're doing it in healthy ways, we're actually yeah. like like we're doing something well, we're growing, we're becoming better human beings that are that are contributing to the world in a way. Yeah. Because he's in security, but it's an un, like his unhealthy security means that he's killing people. Because it's security, he thinks he's doing something good. Yeah. And we we talked about that when we talked about ones and villains, a lot of justification going on there in right. terms of their per, they're pursuing ends with horrendous means attached mm-hmm. and sometimes the ends aren't even that good right. but ones can justify their behaviors right and if he's secure and going to the low side of one there it is pitt says illusions of grandeur you should be thanking me why is that john because you're going to be remembered after this realize detective the only reason that i'm here right now is that I wanted to be. No. No, we would have got you eventually. Oh, really? So, what were you doing? Biding your time? Toying with me? Allowing five innocent people to die until you felt like springing your trap? Tell me, what was the indisputable evidence you were going to use on me right before I walked up to you and put my hands in the air? John, calm down. I seem to remember us knocking on your door. Oh, that's right. 
and I seem to remember breaking your face. You're only alive because I didn't kill you. Okay, sit back. I spared you. Sit back! Remember that, Detective, every time you look in the mirror at that face of yours for the rest of your life. Or should I say, for the rest of what life sit I've back. allowed you to have. Sit back, you freak! And then here's the close. Doe sits back, takes a big breath in. Don't ask me to pity those people. I don't mourn them any more than I do the thousands that died at Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that to say, John, that what you were doing was God's good work? The Lord works in mysterious ways. Any final thoughts on fours? On that one, I suppose we can spoil... You want to spoil... We should probably not spoil the end if you haven't seen <laughs> Seven. Um, I mean, he's... He he thinks he's doing something right that only he can do, and it's like s- serving a bigger purpose. Like he's he thinks he's making humanity better by showing them themselves. Like he thinks he's a prophet, and it's because yeah. he's an unhealthy lunatic. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. Well, his envy gets expressed in the last scene, and he self-identifies with that as a sin. And so that just to, to put a nice bow on, on all of that, put mm-hmm. a nice bow on that box. Yeah. We'll, uh, then we <laughs> what box? <laughs> what's in the box? What's in the box? So, oh, what's in the box? Um, the only other four that was potentially worth talking about, which we didn't get to in our star Wars deep dive is one Kylo Ren yeah. who routinely makes the four list on other people's lists. Now, just for fun, I just wrote this down, but I couldn't find a lot of quotes that typed this character for me much at all. There's the tantrums, there's the broody, you know, you know, black hair in front of their face kind of character. Uh, Uh, Yeah, he's super emo. Emo, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Emo Vader. Yeah. The The only thing that is worth really talking about is him on the bridge with his father and saying to him, I feel like I'm being torn apart and I want to be feel free from this pain. I know what I have to do, but I don't have the strength. And I don't know that that even like gets into uh, motivation much. Sure. And there's a lot of behavior here and mm-hmm. not a lot of exposing the heart of this character. Sure. Well, I would chalk a lot of that up to um, poor storytelling. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Not consistent over all the movies, Not perhaps. Consistent. Um, I think that uh, I think that Adam Driver—that's his name, right? Yep. Um, I think he does. He does a really, really good job in this role, and I, I, I just, I, my heart breaks for him and for Daisy Ridley and some other people, not all of them. Uh, my heart breaks for them <laughs> about how their stories aren't told in, in compelling enough ways. But I, I, I think there is something to stand, especially in that scene on the bridge uh, with Han. And like, there is a moment in, in force awakens where he is speaking to Darth Vader's crushed and burnt helmet. Uh-huh. And there is this this sense of wanting to be like 
something else. Oh, sure. There it and, is. And yeah, so, the, so his whole story, and if you haven't seen The Rise of Skywalker, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but like his, his whole story is about living in that tension of of feeling the pull of good and also feeling the pull of 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 evil and and not really fitting in either one. Oh, sure. Oh, I like that. It, uh, perhaps even having a radar for the beauty in both of the traditions. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is this is part of what I think the overarching story is about is that that there's I mean, there's there's something to be said and for a middle ground and and he's trying to live being pulled in both directions mm-hmm. and not really fitting in either one of them. Let's go there for a second then. One of the things I couldn't get my head around while I was doing this day was a big line in The Last Jedi is to kill the past. Mm-hmm. Fours are past-oriented both in their stance and in their intelligence center. Right. Their shame is in the past, and then they're with a uh, they're a withdrawn type. Mm-hmm. And is that some more just emotionally tortured self hatred going on there? I'm, you know, trying to get out of the past. I I okay. I'll I'll start by saying that I think that this is one of the big mistakes that Ryan Johnson made. That's entirely Ryan Johnson. Yeah, a seven of course wants to kill the past, and <laughs> this is the mantra for what that movie is for yeah in 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 my take of it like kill the Uh past so that you i don't even remember the whole line but like like his it seems like his movie is basically saying we don't need to worry about everything that has come before the literally 30 years of history that have come before my one movie because i'm going to take the whole thing in a different direction yeah kill the past the past doesn't matter anymore. It's like, well, yep. okay, but you're you're literally like it is the Skywalker song. Okay, anyway, <laughs> that I got sad. a new adventure to go on, man. <laughs> yeah, but you're in the second movie in a trilogy. I'm with you. Anyway, <laughs> um, that being said, the I I think there there is something there that is actually like giving Kylo Ren and Adam Driver the benefit of the doubt, I I don't think that he actually believes that. I think that he's yeah. saying that to himself as much as he's saying it to her. And, and that's the uh, yeah, torture that's that he is continually going through. Yeah. He is trying to separate himself from his history, but he can't because he's a four and he lives in it. Yeah. And that's, I think if, yeah, I think if you go down those paths, that's exactly yeah. right. Um, we did a deep dive into Loki in our MCU Avengers deep dive into the typing. And then we did, as I said earlier, we did Commodus in the episode on two. So there's right. a handful of great villains for fours. Um, you got any last word on, on villainous fours? No, I feel like I've said everything I need to. <laughs> I'm glad we did the deep dive into Amadeus. Just let me live in the movie for a for a few weeks. It's yeah. glorious. 
Um, well, dear listener, it would mean the world to us if you would pause, take two seconds, and write us a brief review and give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. You can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org, but the best thing you can do is share this episode with somebody you love. The music is by The Collection and by Tim Coombs. You got anything else, TJ? I got nothing. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook, and who you aren't isn't interesting. Push into who you are, because that's where the goal is. Mm-hmm.